0: Well, a couple of years ago, I met a guy by the name of Tony, and when he uh, landed here at the JAR, he was homeless, and uh, I got to know his story a little bit more, and basically, um, he had been gainfully employed, but in 2007 and 8, when the recession hit, he um, lost his job, and then he made a few poor choices, and pretty soon, uh, he was not only... Um, you know unemployed but he also lost his apartment and when he landed here he was um, at a very very low place in his life and he um, just didn't have much hope and as we started talking together he uh, started saying you know I I know God's the only thing that's going to be able to help my life and so he started a path of trying to accept Christ. He was still homeless and eventually gave his life to God. And then God started opening some doors and he actually got a job. And then um, through an organization here in town, they were able to uh, get him an apartment. And everything was going great in his life and he was coming to church, he was helping on a couple of teams. He even had decided that he was going to start a small group for homeless guys uh, who were downtown. And uh, everything was just going amazing in his life. And then all of a sudden, he just kind of fell off the face of the earth. And uh, I didn't see him. And one week turned into two weeks. And uh, I tried to reach out to him. And I called him. No response. I messaged him. No response. I Facebooked him. No response. We went to his house. No response. I had some other people try to reach out to him on staff. No response. Some leaders that were in the church tried to reach out to him, no response, and it was just like he, he was gone. And then I was sitting at my desk um, about a year ago, and my secretary had passed, uh, gave me the mail of the day, and I opened up this letter, and Tony was in prison. And he had told me about what had happened, And uh, over the past year, he and I have been writing back and forth to each other. uh, And uh, he'll send me something, and I'll send some words of encouragement back to him. And every once in a while, he'll kind of let me know what it feels like to be... It's hard to sleep here. It's a day room or we can have dinner. I regret not being able to be at church and help. I feel like I let... When I get released. And so over this past year we've been writing back and forth to each other. And each time I get one of these letters I open it up and I start wondering like what is Tony's life really like? I wonder what is it like to lose some freedoms in your life that you don't have at all and you just can't go wherever you want to go and do whatever you want to do. And you live in an environment where you're always having to look as in life. But most of all for my friend, I wonder what it must feel like that multiple times during the day you're handcuffed and you're taken to places um, whatever they tell you to do. And being limited in such a way where you just can't go and do what you want. And then one day, this image of the handcuffs kind of came to me and I was praying and I, I just started thinking to myself, I actually choose... Handcuffs in my own life. Uh, Tony doesn't have a choice. Every single day, because what he's done, he actually has to have them placed on him because of what he's done is wrong. But for me, I choose those myself. Whether it's the handcuff of anger or selfishness or a critical attitude, I I choose multiple times in my life to be chained and handcuffed and shackled to things. To handcuff me rather than being open to God's Spirit. Sometimes I wonder, why is it that they can handcuff me in such a way that then I start having destructive thoughts and behaviors and actions? But I have a feeling this is just me, right? Like like no one else uh, ever kind of feels that way. Have you ever had some unhealthy thoughts in your life? And... Uh, They kind of stick in your head. And then pretty soon, you become a prisoner to those thoughts. Thoughts of getting even, thoughts of revenge, thoughts of anger, thoughts of selfishness. Have you ever given into a behavior or a habit in your life that started having destruction in your life and the people around you because you chose to be handcuffed to that? And then maybe... Just maybe those thoughts and those turned into actions and you started doing things, started hurting yourself and started hurting the people around you. Now, the reality is most of us can imagine this morning. It's your first fill-in that you can do in the program or on our what we are shackled to. We take handcuffs all the time and we shackle ourselves to different things. In our life. And we're in a series where we're talking about thriving, that we don't want to just survive or be handcuffed to something. We want to thrive in such a way. And we've been looking at a book of the Bible in Ephesians, the second half of the Bible in the New Testament. And what's inter- really interesting about this book is that it was written from a guy who was actually writing from jail. Paul, the guy who wrote close to half of the New Testament, as a person who is writing from a Roman jail when we get these words. Paul spent two years in jail. And he wrote not only Ephesians, but he wrote many other kind of uh, books of the Bible as well to these churches that he had started. Even though he was under house arrest for most of the time, a lot of his freedoms were restricted and taken away, just like my friend Tony. He couldn't come and do whatever he wanted to do. And there are times that he was handcuffed and shackled and chained. And many times that was to another guard where he would be handcuffed to another guard for hours on end in this home. Now, when you think of him being a prisoner, you should think that he himself would say, If you describe me, I'm a prisoner of Rome, or I'm a prisoner to the Jews because of what they've done. But the reality is, in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, he tells us who he's a prisoner of, and it's neither one of those. And in verse number 1 he says this, For this reason, in other words, the reason that I'm in jail, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. For this reason, because Paul wanted access to God for everyone in the world, not just for Jews, but Gentiles, any race, any group of people to come. He says, for this reason, I, Paul. Now, if you think about it, that's kind of weird of why does he say, I, Paul? I mean, don't they already know that he is Paul? Well, yeah. Yeah. Because they've read the first two chapters. They already know it's Paul. Why does he say, I, Paul? They already know that. Well, 25 years ago, I stood up in front of a group of people, and this is what I said. I, Chris, take you, Jen, to be my wedded wife. Now, everybody in the audience knew I was Chris, but why did I say that? Well, one, because my dad forced me to say that, you know? Seriously, the the reason I was told to say that is because what I was saying in that, the reason I said, I, Chris, because I wanted people to know that I was connected to the next part of the sentence, that I was accountable to the next part of the sentence, who was Jen. And it's been 25 years of accountability. Clap for her. Don't clap for me, okay? Some of you are like, don't worry, mine was for her. Um, but but the truth is, is that I was saying, you know what? I'm committed to her for life. I am choosing, and I want everybody to know, so I'm going to say, I, Chris. Me. I, Chris. I'm, I'm making a commitment. And when Paul says, for this reason... I, Paul, he's saying that that next part of the sentence, I want you to know, I am sold out, I'm committed, I'm accountable, I'm responsible. This is who it is. And he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of who? Jesus Christ. He says, I want the whole world to know that I am a prisoner to him. And kind of the key word is this word, prisoner. Because the reality is, if you think about this, Is he really a prisoner to Jesus Christ? I mean, the reason he's in jail is because now he's a prisoner of Rome. He's a a prisoner maybe even to the Jews. He is in the Roman Department of Corrections. But Paul wants the Ephesians to know Jesus Christ is sovereign over Caesar. He's sovereign over Rome. He's sovereign over them every day All day. And the moment that God wants Paul set free from prison, he has the power to do that regardless of what Rome wants to do. He is not a prisoner of Caesar. He is not a prisoner of Rome. Paul says, I view myself as a prisoner only to Jesus Christ because he is sovereign over Caesar. In other words, The love of Christ, Paul says, has gripped my heart so much that I am now captive to it. I am chained to it. I am a prisoner of Him. I'm shackled to the one who knows me most and who loves me best. He says, I am a prisoner to the love of Jesus Christ. I would never turn around and leave Him. I give my life solely to Him. And then it's interesting, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, I'm committed to this, the prisoner, I'm in prison, but not for Rome, but of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you, who? What's it say? Gentiles. Who are Gentiles? Look at the person beside you. Unless you're Jewish, folks, the whole reason you're even in this church today is because this guy said, I'm willing to be a prisoner to let access of God be given to every single person. Everyone on planet earth can have access to God, not just the Jews. And he said, I'm going to break these borders, these boundaries. I'm going to demolish all of them. Everyone now has access to God because of what Christ has done. And Paul is like, I'm so committed to this call. I'm willing to even be a prisoner to it, I'm a prisoner to Christ, not to the things below. I'm I'm handcuffed to Him. Now, what you need to realize is this, folks. If Paul would have simply said, "Ah, eh, the Jewish Christians, we're going to give them a little bit more of a connection to God than the Gentiles." If he would have said that, if he would have said, you know what, the, the, the Gentiles are at a lower plane than us. You know what would have happened? He would have never been in prison. He would have never been a prisoner. He, he would have been able to live his life the way that he wanted to. But he said, no, 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 no. Because of what Christ did, I, I'm going to be chained to him until every single person, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess That Jesus is is Lord, because everyone can have access to him. Now, you would think, well, Paul's theme of a prisoner, is is that really that big? I mean, it's just one verse, and it's like that one place. But actually, when you go to chapter 4, verse 1, he continues it again. He says, as a what? A prisoner for the who? For the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Here again, Paul is saying, I am sitting in this prison cell, and I'm actually chained to this guard. But the reality is, in my mind, I'm not chained to him. I'm chained to Christ. Can you you imagine being chained to Paul? Can you imagine every single person he brought to Christ who he was chained to? I mean, you would not want to be chained to him. Because they would want to do anything and everything. Say, hey, God loves you. I'm not even chained to you. And you guys looking like, dude, we're, we're chained. It's like, no, no, no. I'm chained to Christ. But you know what? You need Jesus, dude. And for himself, he's saying, you know what? I'm choosing. I'm choosing to be chained, shackled, handcuffed to him. got a question for you this morning. What are you shackled to? In your own life, what is it that you're handcuffed to? What are you chained to? Because the reality is, just like Paul, you choose what you are handcuffed to. And he goes on to say there are some of these things that the church is handcuffed. There are some of these things that even people of faith are handcuffed to, and then he goes on in chapter 4, and he says, what are you shackled to? He says, put off falsehood and speak the truth. Your blank right there is lying. Some of you are handcuffed to the lower things of lying. I mean, it's such a temptation for every single one of us to speak half-truths, to give exaggerations, to give a sense of false promise. But Paul says, now you're in Christ, you have a new identity. Don't be handcuffed or chained to one of these lower things. But actually, why don't you choose to be handcuffed to me? You've got a new way. You can get rid of that old thing of lying. You know, there's a point, folks, in every single Christ follower's life where you finally say, I'm going to put a line in the sand. I'm going to actually say that today is it. I'm done lying. I'm done giving half-truths. I'm done promising things that I don't follow through on. I'm done being handcuffed to falsehoods. I want to be a truth-teller in everything I say in And Paul's kind of like, well, do it. He's kind of like, well, just do it. He's he's like, if you want to thrive in this life, what you've got to do is you've got to get rid of those handcuffs of lying, and you need to be handcuffed and connected to me alone. Well, Paul goes on to say, well, not just lying, but there's some other things that some of you are shackled to. He says, in your, what's it said? Anger. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still what? Okay, how many of you married couples went to bed angry last night? Don't raise your hand. Okay. Do not give the evil one a foothold like that. Now, man, this one really hits home to me because for a long period of my life, I was controlled by anger. Jennifer and I, in the first five years of our marriage, when things didn't go my way, I would get angry, and I would say things, and yell things, and throw things, and it was out of control. And I would be in a rage, and the reality is, folks, I was just like handcuffed, I was handcuffed to anger. And finally, it was just one of those moments, I was a pastor of a church, and here I am standing up in front of these people saying, don't be angry. Don't have anger out of control. And I'm a rageaholic. And I was like, dude, I need some help. And Jen was like, you do. And so I went and I took some anger management classes. I started going to counseling. And I vowed to myself, before I would ever have children, I would know how to control my anger and the Holy Spirit was the only one who could actually help me to do that, and he's been able to. Now, does that mean I don't ever get angry? No. Yesterday, we're in soccer world. We go to Panera Bread. We're sitting there, and Jordan goes like this, uh, Hey, Dad, did you get my bag? I'm like, it's not my bag. Why would I get it? She's like, no, 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 I like put it in the cart. I was like, no, I don't have it. And all of a sudden, I got angry. And the day went on a little bit further, and we're getting ready to go to her second game, and my youngest daughter, who had the car key, left it somewhere she did not know. Now, when both of these things happened, I did not sit down with them like little angels and go, oh, you poor little angel, how can I help you? I had words to say to them that I was not happy and I had lost it in a moment. And so I'm driving back to the soccer field to get her back because she had to eat to get ready to go somewhere else. When all of a sudden, this verse came to my mind. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And you know how many times God has used that verse in my life? Almost on a daily basis. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And so I'm, I get back to Panera and Jordan's there and she comes up and she's kind of anxious and I'm anxious because I've been an idiot and, you know, she looks at me and she goes, Dad, I'm sorry, you know, I should have got the bag. And I said, I'm sorry too. And we had a little cry session today, you know, and, uh, and all was well. And with my younger daughter, after she lost the key, I said, don't do that again. No, I'm joking. I, I said, hey, I'm sorry, too. And, and this is what I've learned, folks. I don't let the sun set on my anger. You know why? Because it gives the evil one a foothold into my family. And Jennifer and I are actually driving, and it was just kind of one of those days as a family, you know, probably because I'm getting ready to teach on it. And he's like, are you going to be transparent, or are you going to act like you have all the answers? And Jen goes, we need to pray. We're like under attack. And we started praying. And the rest of the day, I didn't carry anger. And the girls and I, we went swimming. We had all kinds of fun. And I didn't allow it to ruin my day because I've learned to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. Maybe some of you are sitting there today, and the reality is you're shackled to anger. You get it very easily. You get mad. You get upset. You say things. You do things. You're out of control. And when God says, "Hey, I need you to apologize," you're like, "No, no, 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 I'm not going to do that." And your anger is out of control. And if you would, if you would just say, "You know what, God? Today's the day. I'm done allowing." My anger to control my life. Paul says if you do this, the Holy Spirit will give you strength. And He will help you to be able to handle and control your anger. You may not do it perfectly, but over time, you can do it. And you'll thrive. You'll walk and you won't be filled with anger all the time. You'll be free and you'll forgive quickly and you'll go forward. Well, he goes on to say some other things. He says, those who have been, what's the word? Stealing. Now, some of you sit there and you're like, well, I don't ever steal anything. What about office products? You ever do that? I never used to be convicted of that until I was like, it's not my stuff. You ever take credit for somebody else's work and you see it as yourself? So, Paul says, those of you who have been stealing must steal no longer. He says, today's the day if you're stealing, you got to stop. But must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may uh, have something to share with those in need. Paul says, some of you, you've just been handcuffed to a lower thing called stealing. And he says, "Never get handcuffed to that again." Paul says, "Why don't you work honestly, build self-respect, have a new identity? You're in Christ now, and be led by the Holy Spirit." So he goes, "Hey, no more of this, no more stealing." Then he goes on in verse 29, and uh, so that's the fill-in stealing, if you didn't get that. And uh, goes on to say. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. So unwholesome talk to come out of your mouth. Paul says some of you are handcuffed to a lower thing called profanity. You just can't hardly go through An hour or a half a day or a day without some four-letter words just flying out of your mouth. And Paul says, no more. No more. If you're handcuffed to Christ, if you're a prisoner of Christ, if you're connected to Him, don't do these lower things of profanity. No more profanity. No more cursing. No more dropping these types of bombs. How about dirty jokes? Anybody uh, heard a dirty joke lately? Don't tell me, okay? Don't tell the person beside you. Paul says, hey, that's, that's beneath you now. You have a new identity. You are no longer a prisoner to profanity. You're calling is an example that's much higher. So, maybe today's the day where you say, hey, you know what, I'm done with 30 jokes. I have a friend of mine who uh, attends here at church and um, for much of his life he, he just kind of told jokes about people who were on the fringes or on the margins of society. And so if it was someone who was disabled, he'd make fun and create some kind of joke if it was someone on the margins he would if it was someone who was uh, gay he would have some joke and over time he would start saying these jokes and I was like man if if you're really growing closer to Christ you you need to stop that like you're being handcuffed to something that is so much more little and the reason I told him this is because when I was in my early 20's every time I'd be around someone who was like telling one of these dirty jokes I would just be a part of it. And then finally God convicted me one day that, you know what Chris you can change the subject you can walk away you can confront the person but you don't have to listen to all that. Well, over time my friend got better in this and uh he stopped doing certain jokes, but with people with disabilities, he still had a tendency to do that. And he was sitting back in the back one day, and there was a person who was sitting behind him who was mentally challenged, and who had a speech impediment. And when they were worshiping God, they're both standing up. He starts hearing this voice behind him going, Hey Jesus! Hey, Jesus! And all of a sudden, my friend came to tears because he realized that that's who he'd been making fun of. And he was convicted by the Holy Spirit in that moment where the Holy Spirit said, No more! You're done! And praise be to God, he is done. He, it's convicted him that he's not going down that path. You see, folks, Paul is very, very clear that some of us have been handcuffed to profanity or making fun of other people, and he says those are the lower things in life. What about some of you who just have a critical attitude? I mean, no matter what it is, someone says something and you have a tendency to be opinionated and to share your mouth and you don't think about it and you hurt the people around you. And he's like, it's gone. It's got to be gone. It's unwholesome talk. What would, what would happen, folks, if we chose not to tear people down, but every single time we'd build them up? What if you walked into work yesterday and you just said, you know what? Every single person I see, I'm just going to build them up. It would change the fabric of your workplace. It would change your family. The church would be better if we would do that. Verse 30 goes on to say, Do not quench the Holy Spirit. And kind of the key word there is the word quench. It means that you wouldn't... Why not it be to God's love? As Paul is sitting in prison, and he is chained to another guard, he realizes that he's not really a prisoner to Rome. He's not even a prisoner to this guy. He is a prisoner to Christ. And while he's in jail, he writes one of the most breathtaking prayers that is in the entire Bible, but definitely in the New Testament. And in chapter 3, this is what he says. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in, what's it say? love." May have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure and the fullness of God. Folks, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? I mean, when you look into the mirror of your life, what do you see? Do you like what you see? Do you see someone who's beautiful? Do you see someone who's handsome? Do you see someone who's made in the image of God? Do you see someone who is extravagantly loved by the incredible hand of God? You know, for about half of my life, I believed that God only loved me in those times that I was doing good things. If I just did the right thing and I obeyed, and I had good thoughts and good behaviors and good actions, then God would love me. But I never really believed that when I looked in the mirror, that God would love me as is, even in some of my darkest moments. And the main reason was, was when I looked back on my past, especially in some of my college days, I just didn't think that God could love someone like that. And then at the age of 26, I was at a spiritual retreat weekend, and for the first time in my life, I understood the fullness of God. That there's nothing you can do to make God love you less, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. My behavior is not dependent upon God's love for me. He loves me regardless of what I've done where I've done it, and how I've done it. Now, He doesn't want me to stay there. He doesn't want me to stay handcuffed to the lower things of life. But His love for me is not based upon my behavior. His love for me is because of what Christ did on the cross. I mean, God is love. God loves no matter what, no matter where you're out, And His love is high and wide and deep and long And it is always present. So today, I want you to know, whatever you have done in your past that you think is unforgivable, and God could not forgive you or love you, you're wrong. His love is amazing, and He runs towards you. He's constantly pursuing you, and He doesn't care how many times you're handcuffed to certain things. He will choose you every single time. And Paul says you're not only shackled to God's love, but he says one other thing, that you should be shackled to God's kindness and His compassion. And the last verse of Ephesians chapter 4 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He says we're to treat other people The way that God has treated us. How did God treat us? With love and kindness and compassion. In other words, we are to be shackled to Christ and his love and his kindness and his goodness. So we then can share that with other people. In the uh, early years of the JAR, one of the things that I had a real struggle with was control. I wanted to be right, and I wanted to control things. And in my mind, I thought my, my job was basically to push people as much as I could, staff, high-level volunteers, so that we would grow as a church. That if I just pushed them enough, we would grow and the kingdom would be great. But in the midst of that, there were times in which I wasn't very kind. And I wasn't very compassionate. And sometimes it showed up on Sundays when I would have just kind of very flippant illustrations. I remember one illustration I had one time where I said, you know what, I really like to go to Bob Evans because... People don't talk to me there because half of the people don't have teeth. Yeah, and it, you know, I kind of got that response. And, you know, I thought, oh, this was, was pretty good, you know, and no big deal. And then every Tuesday, by the way, I'm evaluated on what I say from this stage by some leaders in the church. And Chuck Mock, who's the director of our Celebrate Recovery program and a couple other uh, leaders at that time, sat down with me and we're evaluating it. And someone said, Chris, do you realize that? And this was several years ago. But he said, do you realize that all the people who have been struggling with meth, and they're on meth, many of them have lost their teeth. And then another one said, well, uh, Chris, do you realize that there are some people in our church who are really poor? And they didn't have a dentist like you, and so sometimes while all they can do is pull the teeth. And then finally another one said, well, you know, for some of our folks who are elderly and they don't have teeth, or maybe they have dentures and they're, they're very, very self-conscious about it. And then they said this. They said, you know, there are some people that came here for the first time, Chris and they're never going to come back again because of what you said. And you would think that that alone would have convicted me to say, Bunch, there's something in you that you're handcuffed to that you need to change. But I got defensive, and I'm like, come on guys, can't you take a joke? It's just a joke. And about the same time, my oldest daughter, Jordan, who's actually getting baptized today, and you'll see a film in a second, don't cheer, because everybody did that in first, and it was awkward for me, so don't do that. But she was in preschool at the time, and she came home, and she said, hey, Dad, um, they gave us a scripture verse to memorize, and uh, would you memorize it with me? I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem, I'd love to do that. And she had this big, scrolled kind of white piece of paper and we started to unroll it and it was Ephesians 4.32 be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you be kind be kind Chris are you going to be kind Would you choose kindness, Chris, over growth? You see, I don't think that scripture verse was for Jordan. The scripture verse was for her dad. And that became a theme verse for me for a period of my life. Because I'm telling you folks, there was a period of my life that I was shackled. I was literally shackled to words that were not kind. But when I gave that to him and I memorized this verse, I'm like, God, I can turn this around from being shackled to the lower things of life to I want to be shackled to you. I want to be handcuffed to you. God, I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I want you more than anything else and I want people to see you And today there are 19 people, not just Jordan, but 18 other people who have made a commitment to say, I'm not going to be shackled to the lower things of life. I'm going to be shackled to Christ and his love. And they've committed to doing that through baptism. And so today we're going to have a baptism. And uh, I want you to just see a video here in just a second. I'd love for you to hear all of their stories and how God has worked in their life. But we simply ask them to share one word of what their life was like before Christ, like what were they shackled to before Christ, and then once they came to Christ, what have they chosen to be shackled to? So if you would, let's check out this video. I wish I knew when this mountain in my way is going to move hope it's okay to tell the truth. Sometimes the doubt starts to win. Yeah, I'd be lying if I told you I was anything but weak. Right now my struggle's all I see. But I'm not That cool. Uh, just love to see life change, and uh, people who said, "You know what? I don't want to be shackled to the things of this world. I really do want to be shackled to Christ and Christ alone." Uh, the baptism uh, is at five thirty. We'd love for you to come and to be a part of that. Um, uh, the church is going to provide all the meat and the drinks, but if you could bring a side, that'd be great. If you don't bring a side. We'll still be kind and compassionate, I guess. But, but uh, if you could do that, that'd be great, and it'll help us out uh, greatly. And we're just going to have a huge celebration, uh, joy of these lives uh, coming to Christ. And uh, why don't we close in prayer. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you so much for choosing to pursue us. That when we weren't worthy of being pursued, that you chose to pursue us anyways, And thank you for the 19 people who have said we don't want to be
1: handcuffed
0: to the things of this world. We want to be truly a prisoner of you. We want to give our lives to you, to experience you, to be shackled to your love, your forgiveness, your grace. God, thank you for reminding us that you call us to be a prisoner of Christ. Not to be shackled to the things of anger and stealing and profanity and lying, ignoring the Holy Spirit. But you call us to be shackled to your love and forgiveness and kindness and compassion that we share with others. Help us to seek you and to listen to your voice more than any other. You know, I was just praying today that that maybe for some of you in this place, today's your day. Your day where you say, you know what? I want to give my one and only life to Christ. Maybe this whole Christianity thing is new to you and you're not so sure when you walked in, but now you're like, wow, that's what it means? I want this in my life. I need this in my life. I want the one who will never walk away from me. So maybe today you would just cry out and say, Jesus, if you would, please forgive me. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need a fresh start with you. And if that's you, I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. And don't be afraid or ashamed like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to say it out loud because we're going to do this together. We pray in unity together. So I simply invite you to repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for choosing me. Jesus, forgive me make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand to everyone who said that prayer for the first time. Welcome to the kingdom of God.